morning. From, uh, from Matthew's Gospel. And behold, a man came to him, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Father Abraham, honored by the Jews, the Muslims, the Christian faith. But I'm curious, we've been journeying with Abraham now for a number of weeks, and I'm wondering, what do you think about the guy? Do you even like him? (laughs) If you haven't been with us you can go back and, and listen to or, or watch the previous sermons, or you can just read Genesis 12 through about 23 or 25. Take you 20 minutes to read it. And you'll see this story of Abram, who was called by God uh, to go out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of his father's house, to a land that God would show him. And what do we know about Abram in that moment? We know he believed, and he obeyed, and he went, and he got as far as this place called Haran, and he stopped. And we see Abraham go down to Egypt because of famine, and while there, he lied about his wife Sarai, said, she's my sister, not my wife, because she was beautiful, and he was afraid that the Pharaoh would kill him and take his wife And we see God give these promises to Abraham that he would make a great nation of him. But Abraham was getting older and didn't have kids, and so Abraham, along with Sarai, conspired that Abraham would take Sarai's handmaiden, Hagar. And Abraham did. And Hagar had a child, Ishmael. And Abraham and Sarai treated Hagar and Ishmael poorly, sent them out to die. And we see God coming to Abraham again and saying, no, I'm going to give you a child of promise through your wife Sarai, Sarah. And how did Abraham respond? He laughed. He took a play out of Sarah's playbook. 
Not only did he laugh, but when God told him, no, I'm going to give you a son of promise, he laughed and then he said, God, can't you just make this all work out through Ishmael? We saw Abraham haggling with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys know how old Abraham or Sarah was when they went down to Egypt and Abraham lied about her being his wife? 75. Must have been a drop-dead gorgeous woman. (laughs) But Abraham didn't learn his lesson because at age nine or 89, he did the same thing with Abimelech. So after God had promised, no, I'm giving you a son through Sarah, at 89, same thing. And then finally at age 90, they're given a child of promise. Sarah has a son. They name him Isaac Laughter, and we talked about that last week. Uh, a, a little pop quiz if you were here last week. Uh, Paul shared uh, Abraham's pattern. When things got tough, when Abraham was afraid or unassur- unsure, what did he do? Anybody remember? Paul, you preached it. Do you remember? <laughs> he trusted in himself. So, Abraham believed God from day one when he said, yeah, I'll leave Ur. But then we see this pattern over and over again where he says, I believe God, but I'm gonna trust in myself. I'm gonna figure out how to make this happen. I'm gonna figure out how this works. So if that was Abraham's pattern, how would you describe God's pattern in his interactings with Abraham and with Sarah so far? What words would you use? Patience. Patience. I heard mercy, did I hear persistence? What else? Faithful. Faithful. Relentless. Relentless. Generous. Generous. Full of love, full of pursuit. God kept initiating over and over and over and over again. Abraham trusted in himself, and God kept pursuing. Abraham trusted in himself, and God kept pursuing. Abraham trusted in himself, and God kept pursuing. So Abraham has been very consistent And God has been very consistent. And as we arrive at today's passage, it will seem as if that is all turned on its head, where Abraham is no longer acting consistently with what we have known. But maybe it seems like God doesn't either. As I was preparing for this Sermon, Mr. Rogers kept coming to mind. Some of you guys have watched Mr. Rogers, and at the beginning of the show, what what does Mr. Rogers always do? Changes his shoes, takes his jacket off, puts a cardigan on, takes his dress shoes off, puts tennis shoes on. I want this to be our, 
our jacket for cardigan moment, our dress shoes for tennis shoes moment. One of the things that I know is that we come this morning for all sorts of different reasons. Whether you're here for the first time or maybe you've grown up going to church like I did, uh, there are times when you're here just because it's what we do. You're here because somebody else in the house wants to go. You're here because it's habit. But let's take a minute spiritually and take our jackets off and put a cardigan on. Take our dress shoes off. Put tennis shoes on. I'm going to be quiet for a moment, and I'm going to invite you, if you're willing, to invite Spirit of the living God to say, what do you want How do you want me to encounter you over the next few minutes? How do you want me to enter into this story? And maybe most important, Spirit, how do you want me to see how you have already entered into my story? A few moments of silence while you change your shoes and put your cardigan on. Holy Three, Father, Son, and Spirit. I stand this morning in your presence, in your company, and I preach in your power. And so we welcome the work of your Spirit among us. And we ask that you will show us what great, great affection the Father has for us. Amen. All right, Genesis 22, are you ready? This story takes up pretty much the whole chapter, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I'm going to start by reading verse 2, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about this story. God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. Happy Mother's Day sermon. What in the world? If this verse, if this passage, if this story has never caused you to stop and say, what in the world? You've maybe never read it before, or maybe you've just grown numb with Christianese and you read right past it. I'll be honest, I have loved this story. Does anybody know my oldest daughter's name? It's Mariah. It comes from this story. Like many people, Anita didn't conceive right away. 
We didn't go through a lot of the challenges that many people do, but it took longer than what we thought. And in this story, it's a story in one part of God's provision. And so we named our daughter Mariah because God provides. And I've loved this story. But I don't know, six, eight, ten years ago, I can't remember when it was, uh, but there was a group of people in my home who we were reading through the story of God together. It was a 12-week thing or something like that. And we started in, in Genesis with the creation story, and over a course of a number of weeks, we read different uh, passages from the scriptures about the story of God from creation through to Christ. And we were encouraged if we had grown up, particularly if we had grown up uh, with a familiarity with the Bible stories and with the scriptures and with church, we were challenged to enter into the reading of this story as if we had never heard it before. And so I was trying to do that. And I don't know, this is the fourth or fifth week in to the story of God. And we read this story, and I tried to read it as if I had never heard it before. And friends, I was horrified. What kind of God would demand this? I was horrified. What kind of father would do this? I don't know, six or eight months ago, I went out with uh, Parfait, my friend. Many of you know Parfait. And I was sharing with him um, some challenges that I'm walking through in respect to one of my daughters who is making some decisions that I don't think is good or healthy for her. And you know, sharing things with a good friend who loves you and cares about you, that's a good and helpful thing, and that time with Parfait was certainly good and helpful. And I can't remember if it was 9.30 that night or 9.30 the next night. Too late for this old man to normally get phone calls. And my phone rings, and it's Parfait. And he says, you know, I was thinking, God brought this story of Abraham offering up Isaac to mind. And I wasn't going to tell you, I, I wasn't going to tell you, but Karima said, I got to tell you, you got to call Randy, got to let him know. And I think my response to Parfait was probably like, uh, thanks. <laughs> but on the inside, my internal response was, this has nothing to do with me or my situation that I'm walking through. I'm not being called on to sacrifice my daughter. There's, doesn't, what are you talking about, Parfait? But one of the things that I have learned, am learning, is that when people who I know and love and trust say, hey, God encouraged me to share this thing with you, I need to talk to God about it. <laughs> so I began to talk to God about it. Began to think about it, began to pray about it. 
And so, here's the story. God tells Abraham to take Isaac, your only son, your son whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, to this mountain I will show you. (laughs) Reminds me of Ur. Go to this place I will show you. And there, make a burnt offering of your son Isaac. So Abraham goes. He gets two of his servants, and Isaac, and wood, and they head out. It's a three-day journey. People believe that Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. Abram and his family were living in Beersheba down south. It's about 45 miles. I can't imagine what those three days were like. What was that journey like? We don't make three-day journeys very often. The great car road trip isn't dead but it's not very common. What thoughts went through Abraham's mind? What conversations did he have with Isaac? I wonder, I wonder so many things. Did Sarah know what was going on? Or did Abraham simply say, hey, I'm taking the boy, we're going camping, we'll be back in a few days? I don't know. And so they got to their destination. God says, here's the spot. Abraham says to the servants, hey, stay here. Isaac and I will go on. And so as they're going on, Isaac says to dad, hey, dad, we got the wood, we got the fire. Where's, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Abraham responds, don't worry, son. God will provide the sacrifice. And we're told that they get to the spot and they build an altar. And Abraham puts Isaac on the altar. I can't imagine how that happened, how that went down, what that looked like. And Abraham took a knife and he raised it and he prepared to plunge it into his son's body, his precious son, whom he loved. And we'll pick up the story in Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, oh, I skipped skipped a part. The angel of the Lord said, stop. (laughs) That's important detail. (laughs) Abraham's ready to strike and the Lord says, stop. And then in verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. 
and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And then it says they went back to Beersheba, and that's where they lived. Man, what a story. So, this question of what kind of God would do this kind of thing, what kind of father would do this kind of thing, that is a hard and difficult question. And part of what happened in my wrestling with God over the last six or eight months after Parfait talked to me about this um, was I've begun to understand and to look at this a little bit differently. And I'm not today going to provide a complete apologetic for what kind of God would ask this, what kind of father would do this. But I do want to raise a couple of ideas that hopefully help address some of that for you as it has for me and allow us to see, I think, an important gift from this story. So the first thing that we need to realize is we can't place our own cultural norms and standards on Abraham. It's really, really tempting for us to want to read ourselves back into scripture stories. And so when we see things that don't make sense in our context, we want to insert our context into them. And that's not helpful. The culture that Abraham lived in was a culture of human sacrifice. The countries, the peoples all around Abraham practiced human sacrifice. Sometimes children sacrificed, sometimes adults sacrificed, sometimes those being sacrificed were forced to be sacrificed, other times they were willing participants. And so where this command is shocking to every part of my cultural sensitivities, it would not have been in the same way to Abraham. Horrific? I think so. (laughs) But he wouldn't have experienced it in the same way that we would. Most authors believe that Isaac was probably somewhere between 15 and 30 years old when this happened. That makes Abraham somewhere between 115 and 130. Now, I know 130 then isn't what 130 is today, but I just imagine a 130-year-old trying to get a drop on a (laughs) 30-year-old. I can imagine a circumstance in which that could have happened. Maybe Abraham snuck up behind Isaac and hit him with a rock on the back of the head and knocked him out and figured out how to drag him on top of the altar and tie him down. But it's also possible that Isaac was a willing participant. We don't know. And so my point in this part 
is that we can't just impose our cultural norms into this story or the stories of Scripture. Do I have questions that I would like to talk with God about someday about this? Yes, I do. But that has helped me move on. Another thing that helps is God is clearly anti-human sacrifice throughout the scriptures. Various spots in the Old Testament, he commands against human sacrifice. He, he equates it with divination, with witchcraft, with idolatry. Now, why does God make this ask of Abraham when he's against human sacrifice? I don't know that I can entirely answer that. But it's important for me to understand that God is anti-human sacrifice. Please take that away with you when you go today. No human sacrifices. The other thing is the arguments of of Job and the potter and the clay. I don't know if you remember the story of Job, but he was a righteous man, and the accuser, Satan, was in the courts of heaven, and he said, uh, hey, God, look at Job. He's only righteous because of how you've blessed him with, with wealth and with children and with a good name. I'll bet if he didn't have all of those things, he wouldn't uh, be so friendly towards you. And God says, yeah, do whatever you want to Job. Just don't kill him. And so Satan attacked Job, killed all of his children, killed his wife, brought financial ruin. And Job didn't deny God. He didn't curse God. At one point his wife says, curse God and die, be done with it. Job says, no, I'm not going to do that. But towards the end of the book, Job does start questioning God. God, are you really just? Why do you do this thing? And God's response is amazing. It goes on for chapters, Job 38. Um, to 41. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we'd be here for a bit. But I want to find it here and just give you a sense of God's response to Job's questions. So Job asks all these questions of God and then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. It seems godlike to me. And he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, Job, and I will question you and make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. 
Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what, were its ba- or what were its bases sunk on? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Three chapters of that. Job's response is, oh, I'll be quiet. In the book of Romans, Paul, the apostle, says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? God's okay with our questions but we have no right to question God. He doesn't owe me an answer. He doesn't owe me an explanation. Now, that's problematic if God is not good. That's problematic if God is capricious. That's problematic if God is not kind. That's problematic if God doesn't love us. But there's a bigger story in play. I started by saying that Abraham acted in character until suddenly he didn't. You see, I think that that's part of where this story of the life of Abraham hinges is up to this point he had always said yes God I believe now let me figure out how to trust in myself and for the first time in what we're told on Mount Moriah Abraham didn't try to figure it out he was still thinking about it in his head he was still trying to figure it out in his head and we know that because in Hebrews chapter 11 we're told that by faith Abraham offered Isaac, believing that God would raise him from the dead. So he was still trying to figure out how it's going to work in his mind, but for the first time, he didn't interject himself, and he trusted God completely. And so the question that I have is, what about God? Did he act out of character here? And I'd say the answer is no. He didn't. And the reason that he didn't act out of character is because he was continuing to pursue Abraham with the same level of pursuit that he had shown over and over and over again from the time that he called Abram out of Ur until the son of promise When I think about the story of Abraham offering Isaac, I can't help but think about the story of the rich young ruler that we began with. That phrase that the rich young ruler went away sad. I think about how many times Abraham must have gone away sad. He ended up in Haran and stopped there. What sadness was there? 
He went down to Egypt and he lied about his relationship with Sarai. What sadness. What fracture in their marriage. He laughed at God. Can't we just make this work out through Ishmael? Over and over and over again, when, Ad, when Abraham played true to his character and he looked to trust in himself, he went away sad, just like the rich young ruler. See, when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, I don't think he was primarily talking about money or wealth, though he was talking about money and wealth. But what he was really saying is to this young man is, I have identified the thing that is most important to you, and it is your wealth. Jesus wasn't after the man's wealth. He was after the man's affections. He wanted the affections of that man's heart. You see, and that's what God wanted of Abraham. He didn't want Isaac but he identified Isaac as that thing where Abraham had placed hope and trust. And God said to Abraham, I want your affections. And so this invitation of God, this command of God for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac was God's invitation to Abraham to sacrifice his affections and give them only to God. This next slide here. God delights in you. He cherishes you beyond the wildest scopes of your imaginations. His heart is for you. And he desires to heal your deepest hidden wounds. He desires to forgive and wash clean your every sin, failing, and infidelity. He offers you his friendship, and he brings you into his family as daughters and sons at deep, deep personal cost. He's the ancient of days, the creator and sustainer of all things, and all resources are his and at his command, and he commits all of his resources to meeting your every need, including the sacrifice of his dear son, Jesus. For indeed, God has provided the lamb. But all he asks of you is everything. God loves you so much, but he's a jealous God and he is not willing to be one of the things on your list. He's not willing to be one of the things on my list. He's not willing to say, Randy, trust yourself and add in a little bit of me on the side. 
He says, Rand, I want you to sacrifice everything so that your affections are all mine. And he does that for love. Because the best love stories are when the two lovers are wild in abandonment with their love for each other. And God's got a great love story going on. When we restarted this portion of the series six weeks ago, Paul asked the question, how long will you wait for God? And he was referring to this uh, promise of a child that they waited for, um, for 25 years. Abraham and Sarah waited for 25 years from Ur to the birth of Isaac. They waited and they waited and waited. But the question of this sermon is, how long will God wait for you? He kept waiting for Abraham over and over and over again. He continued to pursue. Abraham believed and he trusted himself and God kept pursuing and he believed and he trusted himself and God kept pursuing and he believed and he trusted himself and God kept pursuing. And my friends, it is the same with you. God is in pursuit of you today because he's wild about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. but he's asking you to lay everything before him. We think of the promises that God offered Abraham. Um, And so I was thinking, trying to make this concrete for us, what are promises that maybe we've been waiting for God to fulfill and answer? A few quick ones for me. The book of Proverbs tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he, was old, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now first, I want to recognize it's a proverb, not a promise. Those are different things, but at the same time, I have grown daughters, and each of them in different ways aren't exactly going all the ways that I think they should go. And I want to be like Abraham sometimes and trust myself and say, how do I make that happen? And I can't, and so how do I lay that on the altar before God? The prophet Jeremiah, he says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I have hopes and dreams that I've held for over 30 years that I believe, I think, are from God and I haven't seen them fulfilled yet. And I want to be like Abraham sometimes, and I want to say, hey, God, how do I hold on? How do do I grasp after this? How do I make this happen? And God's invitation is, Randy, lay those down. Trust me. And the Apostle Paul tells us that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I am not yet the man that I want to be. (laughs) My character is not yet fully formed in the image of Christ. And there are times when I want to take control and responsibility for that. As disastrous as that has always been every time I do it, And how do I lay that at the altar? 
our table group was hanging out last week and I was talking with the guys about it and Nate said, what about your affections? Randy, where are your affections? My affections are probably uh, around my comfort and around my good reputation. And when I try to hold on to those things, I go away sad because I have much comfort. And in some places, I got a pretty decent reputation. How do I lay those things down at the altar of God in Mount Moriah and let him provide? So, two thoughts. What do we do with this? The first one is keep going, guys. Abraham makes Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith just for leaving Ur of the Chaldees. He had a whole lifetime of failure in front of him. Yet the writer of Hebrews references the hall of faith because he left Ur of the Chaldees and he headed out. So I don't know where you're at on your journey. If, if you can place yourself somewhere in the story of Abraham, maybe you're in Ur, maybe you're in Haran, maybe you're in Egypt, maybe you're fooling around with Hagar and you shouldn't be. Maybe your relationship with Sarah is broken. Maybe you're laughing at God. Maybe you're haggling with him over something. Maybe you're walking uh, somewhere on the three-day journey to Mount Moriah. My encouragement to you is keep going. The best storytellers remind us that all of the best stories are very, very long. And the story almost always continues after the last word on the last page of the last chapter. God's story with you is by no means complete. And so whether you find yourself in Haran or in Beersheba, or in Egypt, or in Mount Moriah. Keep going. The second encouragement that I have for you is to cultivate your affections. I have a friend who told me once that you can't help who you fall in love with. I don't know if I agree. Yeah, there's chemistry, there's instant reactions, there's all these things. My wife and I have been watching Survivor. Anybody who watched that show? We're watching the current season. And a week or two ago, my wife said, yeah, when we started this season, I thought all the characters on here were gonna drive me nuts, but I've really grown to like them. What a shallow comparison to what real life is like. We can fall in love with people that we put ourselves into context with, even if they drive us nuts. We can cultivate our affections for Christ. And so when it comes to this invitation to sacrifice, that's always the question. God asked Abraham, what do you love more, Isaac or me? Jesus asked the rich young ruler, what do you love more, your wealth or me? What is spirit asking you today? 
Will you be invited to lay something down? The journey up Mount Moriah seems so hard to me. But if I learn to love God more, then I know that I'm more willing to sacrifice my reputation, my comfort, my desire for my kids, my desires for myself. And maybe, not maybe, God tells me he will do more than I hope or desire. What an amazing God. I'm going to invite Kyle and Jess to come back up. I don't know how this has hit any of you. Bethany, as she invited us, called us into worship, she talked about engaging God with our bodies. And uh, I think that's so important, Bethany. Thank you. There's an alcove right over here. I'm going to call it the altar alcove today. When these guys start with the first song, I'm going to go over here. And I'm going to pray. And if you have stuff that you're like, I want to lay it down, I would invite you to come join me. And here's the way that's going to work. We're we're not going to talk about your things in that moment. But I'll invite you, if you just have one or two words, here's what I'm laying down. I've talked about my comfort, my reputation, my children, my dreams. So I'll invite you to share a word or two, and then I'll just pray blessing over us while we sing this first song. And then after this first song, Darren's going to come, and he's going to invite us to share in communion, that beautiful, beautiful feast where we're reminded with our tongues how much God loves us. Will you stand with me as I pray over us? Father, Son, and Spirit, upon your children, have mercy and grace upon your children. Pour out your joy, pour out your affection. Father, the enemy of our souls would keep us blind. The enemy of our souls would keep our feet mired in quicksand, but you have set us free. And so we bring our freedom to you as as a sacrifice of joy and of honor. Before us and to us and through us, all that you would be. In Jesus' name.